Well, I encourage you to open your Bibles to the book of Numbers. You're going to go to Exodus, but not this morning or this month. Turn to uh, Numbers, if you would. Keep a finger there in Numbers 23, 24 area. Uh, we're going to uh, pick up again in Exodus into the new year next month. Um, we know that the people of Israel are at the base of Mount Sinai, and they are receiving lengthy instruction from uh, the Lord in the midst of this 40-year wandering in the wilderness. And they, they leave Sinai. They're not going to leave Sinai until Numbers chapter 10. And that goes all the way through the book of Deuteronomy. The Lord is leading them. Um, and by the time we get to Numbers 22, they have reached the plains of Moab. If you were to look at a, a map in the back of your Bibles, you'd, you'd see Moab is on the east side of the Jordan River, east side of uh, the Dead Sea. And in spite of the Israelites' rebellion against the Lord, uh, He has given them uh, victory over uh, the nations, the pagan nations in that area. They've defeated the Amorites, the citizens of Bashan. Uh, and now they are camping uh, in Moab. And so as you can imagine, the king of Moab, whose name is Balak, uh, he's a little nervous about this. In fact, he's quite fearful. Uh, there's this... Here's this mass of Israelites you know, camped at his doorstep. And what's going to happen? What's going to happen to the Moabites? What's going to happen with uh, the Israelites? And that takes us to a fascinating narrative here in Numbers 22 through 24. And our focus is going to be on the oracles uh, that we see here in 23 and 24. But uh, Let's pray together. Lord, we are grateful for your word to us. A word that encourages, admonishes us, teaches us. A word that we need to love you and to love one another well. And so we pray, Lord, that you would work this word into our hearts and our minds this morning. That we'd be faithful in interpreting and applying. We look to you to help us, Holy Spirit, in doing this. Illumine our hearts. Make us attentive now, we pray. Speak faithfully through your servant, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you enjoy Chinese food or frequent Chinese restaurants, you've probably set your plate on one of these, it looks like a circle, they call it the Chinese zodiac. It, it comes out of astrology and Confucianism, and there are all these animals that you see around the Chinese zodiac. Uh, and the belief that, uh, that these animals have an important part to play in society. And depending on your birth year, it'll line you up with one of these animals. Well, my birth year lines up with the monkey. So the strengths and weaknesses of the monkey are supposed to apply to me. Um, and there's also an annual uh, you know, foretelling what the year is supposed to look like uh, for that, that particular animal in in the year 2018, it was not a good year for the monkey. Um, apparently, uh, it'd be a, a difficult relationships, uh, so tight self-control, treating others in life with an extra dose of friendliness would be necessary uh, for those who align with the monkey. Um, and it sounds intriguing, but I think we find the future is a little harder to predict. Uh, even the Psychic Friends Network will admit to this. Uh, one promotional clip says, We all want to know what our future holds. For centuries, great leaders have sought and found the vital psychic edge, and now so can you. But then the first page of their brochure, they give this caution to their investors. 
Undue reliance should not be placed on the forward-looking statements because Psychic Friends Network can give no assurance that they will prove to be correct. So predicting the future is it's not an easy business. I mean, how many times have we seen or heard or expected something to turn out some way and just the opposite thing happened through some bizarre set of circumstances? Now, if predicting the future is hard, do we think controlling it will be any easier? And what control do we really have or what's going to happen this next hour, the minutes of the day, going into this week? What control do we have over life circumstances? You know, I'd like to think that I have some control. Those who know me well probably think too much control. And that my, my actions are going to be consequences to my actions but, and consequences to your actions, but we don't know what the consequences of each other's actions are going to be. And how about those... How about those life experiences that are frightening, that scare us? You know, I think of Madison in the hospital for these very moments, giving birth to a baby. Maybe an emergency surgery is necessary, or you get that diagnosis of cancer. Maybe you have a job one day, and the next day that job is uncertain or disappears. Even a spouse, one that you love, one day, no longer the next. So where do we turn when the future is so uncertain, is so unpredictable, we have so little control? That's the dilemma that is facing Balak, the king of Moab, with Israel camped nearby. His future, future of his people, it wasn't looking very good. So he needed some sort of psychic edge. Some type of control over the Israelites that's going to enable him then to, to take advantage of his situation. He says, the people are scared, I'm scared, so let's see what Balaam has to do with this. We have Balak, the king of Moab, and then we have Balaam, who was a well-known seer in that uh, area of the Jordan, that Transjordan uh, area, which had been kind of like a psychic or a fortune teller. But seer, that term, can also be used to describe a prophet. And so Balak sends for Balaam, hoping that he can cast a spell, maybe even a curse, over the people of Israel. There's a belief that curses you know, had some magical power that was really widespread in this time. And even though the Lord tells Balaam not to go see Balak, he appears very... Uh, insistent on at least trying uh, to meet with him. Uh, no doubt there would have been a significant amount of money offered to Balaam for his uh, services. We learned that from Numbers 22. And then after Balaam has a conversation with his donkey, he still ends up in the company of Balak. And what Balak has to go through to acquire these services from the prophet, that's what we're going to focus on. Uh, we learn that curses are very costly. And yet for God's chosen people, there's blessing. Blessings abound, not curses. We're going to look at the cost and the blessing that comes from Balaam's words here and translate that into our own experience. So Balak, this Moabite king, seems to be willing to do anything he can to gain the advantage over Israel. He's even going to try this, this divination, some sort of magic, if that helps him. And he's willing to pay a very hefty price for it. If you look at 23 verse 1. And Balaam said to Balak, 
Build for me here seven altars, and prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam had said, and Balak and Balaam offered on each altar a bull and a ram. Now think of the materials required to carry in and to build seven altars and the cost of seven bulls, uh, these animals. This is, this is spendy, uh, as any way we think about it. Um, that doesn't even include the fees that were given uh, to, for Balaam to come. So he's built these altars, he makes these sacrifices. Uh, we see it in, in 23 verse 14, again in, in 23 verse 29. So there's no price that Balak is not willing to pay for these curses, somehow controlling the outcome of his future. So he invests all these resources in something that is hardly certain. I mean, Balaam doesn't, Balaam doesn't make him any promises. He says that on several occasions. Perhaps, perhaps the Lord will come. Perhaps the Lord will be pleased. Balaam has no certainty, no assurance after offering these sacrifices, presumably to a pagan god, to Baal. In the end, it's going to accomplish nothing. He loses everything that he's invested. So the cost of these curses is tremendous for Balak. Controlling the future, trying to control his circumstances is very, very costly. Now, this is, we may not call down curses. We may. Um, we may not hunt out the latest psychic readings. But when things appear uncertain, or the future is looking bleak, we can resort to lots of, of spiritual counterfeits, sort of give us an advantage and relieve the pain somehow. Maybe we spend money in frivolous ways. And we, we seek comfort in our possessions or, or we work just that much harder. Maybe even doing good things, you know, giving to others. We can give, 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 give when actually we're just giving to um, you know, just, just on, on, on this altar of affirmation and control. Even our grief, we can move in this direction. We, we miss those that we've loved so much. We can hardly imagine a future without them. So we just invest ourselves in those things that cannot provide a comfort, a real, real hope. And even though they're, they're costly, they're going to demand everything of us. Right? Keeping up with your neighbor will demand everything from you. Trying to meet everyone's expectations in your life will demand everything from you. That the pursuit of, of pleasures will demand everything. They're counterfeits. They can bring no lasting comfort or peace or hope. It costs Balak everything he had invested in. And we're going to lose too if we invest and chase after spiritual counterfeits. And maybe very good things that we make the ultimate things. So the intimacy that we've been made to enjoy with our God, that's fractured when we place our hope and our trust in those things that cannot provide. I read of, of William who was attending the funeral of his father who died in a, in a motorcycle accident, young 47-year-old man. And he really wanted to look into the accident and he went and talked to the mechanic who had looked at his dad's motorcycle and uh, was talking to friends. And it turns out that 
he remembers his dad as a very loving father, a compassionate man, but he had this, uh, this group of thrill riders. And so they would go out on Sunday afternoons and just ride to the hilt. Um, and he remembers talking with one of his dad's friends after the funeral. And this friend said, you know, it's, he went out doing what he loved. It's the only way to go. It's honorable. And then William recalls, he responded, well, of course I don't believe that. There's nothing honorable about dying a violent death at 47 year old, 47, and leaving behind a whole bunch of family members whose lives are now shattered in some way. So the thrill of the ride can be so much fun for a moment, but it has no power to deliver, no hope to offer. And so these, these counterfeits, these idols of the heart, will cost us all that we can possibly imagine. Cost Balak, and it's going to cost Balaam at the end of the story. But for those whom the Lord protects, those who He upholds by His righteous right hand, who holds under the shadow of His wings, there is no curse to be feared. We learn quickly through the oracles of Balaam that God has other plans here. He uses the idolatry of Balak, the mixed motives even that Balaam has, the confused intentions here, to speak blessing for his people, hope for Israel. So the enemies of God's people attempt to curse. He blesses, and he blesses abundantly. Uh, even though they are in rebellion against him. They, they rebelled against God in the wilderness. They even their leadership, Moses, has rebelled against the word of God by the time we get to this point. But God does not forsake them. He's faithful to his promises. In Balaam's second oracle, this is in chapter 23, verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Promise and not fulfill. You see, the Lord God, unlike you and unlike me, keeps his word perfectly. And those that He is determined to bless, He will bless. And one thing we can certainly take away from the story of Balaam is that God can speak to us and remind us of His promises in some very strange and bizarre ways. If He can get Balaam's attention through a donkey and then use a non-Israelite pagan king to bless His people, then He can communicate His love to us and His promises to us in ways that we might never expect. It could be through an illness or a surgery that He reminds us of His presence. That he reminds us of His care. Maybe it's through a, a rebellious child or our own rebellion that He shows us His love and what the Gospel actually looks like. Maybe it's through a storm, through fire. Takes away everything that we thought we owned. It shows us what we truly need. Provides for us. So be watchful. Be ready for how the Lord may remind you. May show you His promises and His faithfulness. It may come in ways that you least expect. God's blessing comes to Israel. Unexpected way. And they didn't have to pay anything for this. So very much unlike the curses, which are costly, un uncertain, completely ineffective, Blessings of God are certain. They are effective. 
He's committed to his people. It's evident in the oracles of Balaam, 23 verse 10. It says, who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth part of Israel? See, God had made a promise to Abraham and to his offspring in Genesis, Genesis 13, that his offspring would be like the dust of the earth. In Genesis 12, Genesis 22, 27, God promises that the offspring of Abraham, which would include Jacob, would be a blessing to the nations. So whoever blesses them would be blessed. Whoever curses them would be cursed. Look at Balaam's words for Israel, 24 verse 9. Blessed are those who bless you, and cursed are those who curse you. So the promise of God hasn't changed. It is sure He's delivered his people from Egypt. He's given them victory over his enemies, their enemies, and he dwells in their midst. Balaam affirms all of this in chapter 23. Then his final oracle, oracle, he gives uh, this this oracle to Balak. Now he doesn't have to make another sacrifice. This one is free of charge. Um, But it looks towards the future for God's people. What is to come? The blessing, what that will include. Again, in Genesis 17, God gives the sign to Abraham. Remember that sign of the covenant in Genesis 17? Circumcision. He says um, in his blessing that he will make Abraham and his offspring into a great nation, exceedingly fruitful. Kings would come from him. Now at this point in the story, there are no kings in Israel. There's no monarchy. And yet God promises that there would be a king in their future would conquer their enemies. We see that's exactly what happened when when David is brought uh, to Israel as king over Israel. He is the one who conquers Moab, who conquers the surrounding nations. So these oracles, specifically this fourth oracle in Numbers 24, it seems to find its focus in in the time of David in that dynasty. Malam says, a star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. So a star and a scepter is that reference to royalty, the reign of the king. There's going to be a future blessing for Israel and through all the nations. Even though all the nations will, will fall, Israel will stand with one from Jacob exercising his rule. So they're going to see that fulfilled in part, in the coming of David and his royal line. So we think through these oracles. Present for Israel, future for Israel. Who, who else can control the future but our God? Who else has the power and sovereignty over all things? Extending to what is unknown for us, uncertain for us, it is certain for Him. I like what one author, he asked this simple question, has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurs to God? Nothing ever occurs to God. Nothing catches him by surprise. His promises never fail, and that's still the case when your life and mine seems to be spinning out of control. When we have no control, He does. When we think we have control, He still does. He may need to remind us of that along the way. I hope that's a comfort. It should be a a great comfort 
and a hope for us, knowing that God, who is faithful to His promises, from the very beginning, is incapable of, of cursing. He blesses His people. He's going to see His plan through in your life and mine. That's something we can trust in, a hope that is sure. So many years later, there are men who use their understanding of astrology, the stars. They traveled from a far-off area, maybe not too far from where Balaam lived, to an insignificant town in Judea, because that's where the star was located. A glimmering star in the sky overhead, and the star of Jacob one from the royal line of David in the house. Here is the second David, one who would come to conquer the enemies of God's people. Rule forever and ever. Jesus is that child, the faithful Israelite in the line of David. He's the ruler. He's the star of Jacob, the one who shepherds his people. He's the hope for Israel as they're camped there in the plains of Moab. And he's the hope for the true Israel of God today. Your victory, my victory over all that would threaten us. Hope for the promised land of rest and rejoicing in His presence. Here's what the end of the story tells us. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. See how this prophecy, when we read prophecy and we see it through Jesus, all of its truth is made known. It's like you shine a beam of light through that prism and all the colors are dispersed. Well, all those colors were there. But only through the prism do you see them all. So now as we read this Old Testament oracle and we see it through Jesus, we see how it's fulfilled in its entirety. The star of Jacob has risen for our salvation, for all those who believe in Him. So now Jew and Gentile can be crafted, grafted into the body, the adopted family of God, the true Israel of God. Is that where your hope rests? Do you have the assurance of God's love and blessing in Jesus? If that is true, then all the unknowns of the future, all the trials, the pain that is yet to come, all those things that are risky in life, they cannot ultimately shake you. Because of your hope. Your hope of victory over sin and death. Your hope of a better land. Grounded in the certainty of God's promises in Jesus. So I don't know what, what searching the stars or what you know, the zodiac animal is going to tell you um, about your future, but I know the star of Jacob has come. He's come to give us hope. He's come to give us peace with our God. It's a tragedy that so many will, will want to die at peace with God, yet will spend so little of their lives pursuing this peace. That was the case for Balaam. It says in Numbers 23, verse 10, let me die the death of the upright and let my end be like this. In other words, like the one whom God is going to bless. And yet Balaam does not pursue the Lord. His own greed, his own selfishness, counterfeits get in the way. 
And he's destroyed by Israel later on. The star of Jacob has come. He reigns over all and will come in fulfillment of God's blessings. So friends, if you're sitting here this morning, the star of Jacob has not risen in your heart, in the darkness of your heart. Let me implore you to follow the wise men of old and bow the knee and worship the Lord Jesus. Now is the day of His patience. Now is the day of His favor. Lean into Him. Bow the knee to His Lordship. In doing so, you're going to find a true peace. And Even in the unpredictable circumstances of life, you'll find a hope that is absolutely unshakable. We have a sign of that great hope on the table that spread before us this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for Your Word to us. For this prophecy that, that You spoke in a very unique way through the prophet Balaam under circumstances that were more than bizarre. You use what was intended to be a curse against Your people to bless them. And to show them and to show us the star of Jacob was to come in our Lord and Savior. Lord, as we look to that star, as we look to Christ, and this morning and in this season, in every day of the year, our hope is renewed for the life that we have now and forever in Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen.